This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good evening, everyone. My name is Danielle Ramo. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry here at UCSF, and I lead the research on addiction and digital interventions lab, where we study behavioral interventions to help young people change health risk behaviors, including addictive behaviors. And tonight, I'm going to be talking about two increasingly popular substances, uh, the landscape of which has changed in recent years and is changing almost as I speak to you tonight, electronic nicotine delivery systems and cannabis. Just to get a sense of the audience this evening, how many people in the room have heard of vaping? Almost everybody. It's around quite a bit these days. How about dabbing? Somewhat fewer. Well, I'll be talking about both things this evening, and I assure you, you will know what it is if you don't already. I'd like to acknowledge the team that I work with in the Department of Psychiatry in our Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education at UCSF and uh, my staff without whom I would not have data to present to you tonight. So I'm going to start with the suite of substances that are known as electronic nicotine delivery systems. That is a fancy way of saying uh, electronic cigarettes, also known as vape pens, e-hookahs, hookah pens. And these substances have gained, so these devices have gained popularity extremely over the last few years, to the extent that in 2014, the Oxford Dictionary declared vape the word of the year. The popularity has continued to increase in the last two years. So I will be referring to these products as ENDS, and it includes e-cigarettes, but also other things that can vape liquid. So what do I mean by an ENDS product, and what is vaping? Uh, Just so we're on the same page, ENDS are devices whose function it is to heat into an aerosol and deliver to the lungs a chemical mixture of what is usually made up of propylene glycol and nicotine, although some of substances claim that there's no nicotine in them, and other chemicals of various sorts. Uh, electronic cigarettes are the most popular kind. Um, there are also vape pens, which is what in, is this is an example of. And these have a cartridge that has liquid in it, a control that allows the heating to happen, a place where the vapor comes out, and a power battery, which could potentially be uh, rechargeable or not, depending on the device. Now, many of the uh, forms of liquid that can go into these devices are flavored. And to just give you a sense of the flavor landscape, a publication in Tobacco Control in 2014, keep in mind this is two years ago, found 466 brands of ENDS liquid, each with its own different kind of website, and 7,764 unique 
flavors. I apologize if you can't see that, but a whole host of different kinds of flavors, which is something that's illegal for tobacco. And we'll talk a little bit about the regulatory landscape of these substances in a bit. I'd also like to give you a sense of what kinds of ENDS products there are out there. So the traditional electronic cigarette that was really uh, the first to market were two different kinds of products. These were kind of the first generation ENDS products. They looked a lot like cigarettes and they're also known as cigalikes. Uh, a number of them had rechargeable batteries like this one at the top or they're disposable like this one down here. Then the somewhat more modern devices also known as egos or vape pens looked a lot like pens and they were for people who wish to use the product without uh, others noticing. There was a lot less stigma attached to using these substances because it didn't look like people were walking down the street smoking a cigarette. Then uh, m even more modern substances, this sort of third generation product uh, called personal vaporizers or APVs, advanced personal vaporizers, allow for uh, cartridges with a lot more liquid than the, than the first or second generation products and also allow for the temperature of delivery to be controlled. So uh, someone could theoretically uh, deliver somewhat less of a vaporized amount of liquid to their lungs. Uh, although it's somewhat questionable how much a temperature really does affect the amount that someone delivers to the lungs. They can definitely hold more liquid, and uh, this is advantageous for a number of users, especially those that are, are uh, vape quite a bit. And then there are also electronic cigar products as well as electronic pipe products. And primarily, these were meant to be vaped with a nicotine-type solution, but there are also uh, different kinds of solutions out there, either those that don't have any nicotine or those that contain uh, tetrahydrocannabinol or, uh, or other kinds of substances. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. There are even more modern ENDS products, and here's an example of a vape pen that allows for a Bluetooth connection with a smartphone. So someone can theoretically be vaping, talking on the phone, and listening to music all out of this device with the phone in the pocket or away. So they're really with the digital age, and this is... Uh, p appealing to people who are interested in vaping without people noticing and definitely very modern and interesting and particularly interesting to younger people who may think that uh, smoking is certainly unhealthy and unsafe, but these are uh, certainly much more interesting to say the least. So uh, who is who owns uh, eSig and ENDS companies? Well, for one, almost every one of the world's largest tobacco companies has at least one, if not more, of the most popular ENDS products. So chances are, if you're buying an ENDS product in uh, a drugstore, another popular place to buy them, and it's one of the more popular types of products listed here, like Blue, uh, Mark 10, then these are uh, owned by tobacco companies. There's some question about uh, 
whether these substances are harmful at all, or certainly whether they're as harmful as smoking, especially given that they are being marketed as a safer alternative to smoking and to cigarettes. So I'd like to review some basic aspects of the research on what we know about exposure to nicotine and exposure to toxins from vaping and ENDS product. Primarily, the research in this area has been done with adults. We know quite a bit less about adolescents who are increasingly using these substances, and I'll share some of those data with you in a bit. So here's what we know. First of all, there is a real mismatch between the labeled content of ingredients and also especially, and perhaps most importantly, the labeled nicotine content in these products and the actual nicotine content. One study found an 89% mismatch. And that includes both a different amount of nicotine than what's labeled, and also there has been found nicotine present in substances that are labeled no nicotine, and the opposite is also true. In the absence of regulations, which has recently changed, uh, there is... no, there has been no federal regulation on reporting a, an ingredient list and no oversight of what ingredients are in these substances until this summer. There is also some real question about the risks of propylene glycol and glycerin for inhalation. And these are the substances that uh, make up the majority of electronic nicotine delivery system liquid. We do know that there is some secondhand effect of uh, bystanders inhaling vaping liquid. So I think uh, there is a misconception that vaping in places where uh, uh, indoors or other places where it's illegal or unsafe to smoke, places like bars uh, where there are clean indoor air laws to protect staff and others, that it might be safe to vape in those places. And yet it's looking like uh, that's not at all the case. So uh, not safe for parents or others to be vaping in the home. And uh, we know this because bystanders do have detectable cotinine, a biomarker of nicotine in their system after uh, being in the presence of vaping. There are also uh, some toxic chemicals present in uh, vaping aerosol. Now, it is pretty clear that it's lower amounts than cigarettes. I certainly don't deny that. It's it's somewhere around uh, 20% of the pollution of a basic cigarette in the aerosol of a vaping liquid. Now, this varies quite a bit, of course, depending on what ingredients are in the liquid. But it's fairly clear that uh, it, they are likely safer and have fewer toxins than cigarette smoke, but they are not at all toxin-free. And this idea should really not be perpetuated. Another question, of course, is are these substances safe for my body? If I'm vaping, is it safer than it is for me to smoke a cigarette? Is it safe 
at all? Can I do this for the rest of my life safely, whereas I know that it's not safe for me to smoke a cigarette? There have been few studies in this area, although more are coming out all the time, uh, related to acute exposure and lung function. And really, the evidence is not clear. Uh, It also depends on, of course, the content of the liquid. And when it's regulated and it's more clear what is actually present in uh, e-cig aerosol, we'll have a better sense of this. But uh, we can't say for sure right now whether uh, acute effects are safe or unsafe. One thing we do know is that ingesting ends liquid is not safe. Uh, the calls to poison control centers, for example, went up in two th- from one in 2010 to 215 in 2014 that were related to acute ingestion of e-cig liquid. Most common adverse events related to ingesting this liquid are related to vomiting, nausea, and eye irritation. Although there have been some reports of uh, small children ingesting the liquid and becoming very, very ill. And unfortunately, one young child overdosed and died from uh, drinking electronic uh, ENDS liquid. Uh, I know of one case where an adult purposefully injected ENDS liquid and had a fatal overdose from that as well. I expect that we'll unfortunately be seeing more of these kinds of calls as the popularity of these substances continues to increase. So there really is a danger there, and it's a concern that right now, the way the substances are sold, there aren't warnings, uh, certainly nothing like there are on tobacco products. Okay. So let's figure out uh, or talk a little bit about who tends to be using these substances and why they're using them. Uh, primarily, users of ENDS products are adults who are wanting to quit or reduce smoking combustible cigarettes because there's an idea that they're safer, because they've known someone who has quit successfully with these substances. And as I mentioned, it's looking quite clear that they are safer in a lot of ways. So uh, people are very curious about whether they can help them quit smoking and quit smoking for good. Uh, also, some smokers who want to be able to vape in places where they can't smoke. Uh, not This is not uh, allowed really in San Francisco almost at all, and uh, recent laws mean it's, it's really going to be regulated entirely similarly to cigarettes. So there'll be no place in San Francisco, there currently isn't any place in San Francisco where you can vape and cannot smoke cigarettes, but most other places in the United States are not like that. So there are... Um, certainly people who want to be able to have a nicotine delivery system in a discreet way where they may not be able to smoke. Also, former smokers who have uh, successfully quit smoking may be interested in trying these products because they want to have a safer alternative. They're interested in getting the feeling of nicotine again, but want to do it perhaps in a safer way. And then the group that I study, um, and one that is of great interest to the research community and, of course, to the public, is youth. There is a huge question about whether kids are interested in these substances 
substances, even if they believe and know that tobacco is dangerous, and there's a question about whether ends are a gateway to smoking cigarettes. And I'll share a little bit about those data with you in a moment. I'll also just draw your attention to a couple of examples of advertisements that are online related to e-cigarettes being a safer alternative to smoking, and also something that can be used to quit smoking. So these are the messages, regardless of whether they're uh, legal, which they're not, uh, these are certainly the messages that are primarily being disseminated around these products from companies that are marketing and manufacturing them. So in uh, U.S. adults, I'd like to give you a sense of who tends to be using ENDS most often. So these are national data from the 2014 National Health Interview Survey, and it's a cross-sectional survey of adults 18 years and over. In 2014, the survey uh, included almost 37,000 adults, and in blue... This is the proportion of electronic cigarette use among those who, um, or the proportion of those who are former triers of e-cig use, someday users of e-cigs, and then in green, daily users of e-cigs. And in the bottom row here is categories of smokers. So on the left, those who have never smoked cigarettes ever in their lives, former smokers who quit more than four years ago, former smokers who quit more recently, those who smoke on some days, and daily smokers. And to give you a sense of uh, who is using electronic cigarettes, by far, it is those who have recently quit smoking or smoke on some days or most days. And further, daily cigarette users, I mean daily ends users, so the number in green is primarily among people who have recently quit smoking. So regardless of whether it's going to confer long-term quitting, it's primarily people in the United States who have recently quit smoking that tend to be vaping on a daily basis. So a huge question there is, are these people, even if they're given that they're likely using ends to try to quit smoking, is it helping and will it allow them to become lifelong non-combustible cigarette smokers? I'd also like to share some uh, epidemiological data on adolescent uh, ENDS use. Because I mentioned that a huge question relates to ENDS being a gateway, a potential gateway for traditional combustible cigarettes, and also because in recent years we've seen an interesting uh, phenomenon around youth use. So these are past month use of various tobacco products among adolescents in 8th grade, 10th grade, and 12th grade, surveyed with the Monitoring the Future survey throughout the United States. Look at the numbers, the proportions of those smoking cigarettes, traditional cigarettes, compared to smokeless tobacco, which used to be the second most commonly used form of tobacco, and electronic cigarettes in 2015. It's the second year that prevalence of e-cigarettes surpassed that of traditional cigarettes, and e-cigarettes have consistently now, for the last three years, been more common than 
cigarette use. So we have thought about traditionally these ages, certainly 8th grade, but also 10th and 12th grade, being times for prevention of cigarette smoking, certainly the time in which kids are most likely to try cigarettes. And now we really need to reframe and think about ends being the substance that should be uh, targeted for prevention and intervention. Now, I keep mentioning the word gateway, and it's finally time to share uh, what we know about I think probably the most important question related to ENDS use and youth. If teens start using an ENDS product, will it make it more likely that they will go on to try cigarettes and to become smokers than if they had not started with ENDS? About four studies have sought to answer this question, uh, and each one of them, in short, has, I'll give you the punchline, Yes, it's looking like ENDS makes it more likely that kids will go on to smoke traditional cigarettes. So one study surveyed young adults and found that those who had ever used an electronic cigarette had two and a half times more openness to cigarette smoking. So openness is a measure of the interest in trying cigarettes and becoming a smoker. Of course, there's also the question of whether they will actually go on to try cigarettes and become smokers. Leventhal and colleagues looked at uh, uh, ninth graders uh, in a number of different school districts in Los Angeles and found that uh, ever ends use uh, predicted six and 12 months later the use of any tobacco product, including cigarettes as well as smokeless tobacco, and also combustible cigarette smoking. So those who had tried ENDS compared to those who had never tried ENDS were over two and a half times more likely to be smoking six and 12 months later in ninth grade. Third study of late teens and early adults, ages 16 to 26, found that ever electronic cigarette use predicted 12 months later eight times greater likelihood of combustible cigarette use and eight and a half times greater likelihood of what they deemed susceptibility among non-smokers. So, and again, this idea of openness to trying smoking. So all of these, uh, really together, no study has demonstrated the opposite effect. Everything that has measured electronic cigarette use and subsequent ideas about smoking or subsequent smoking makes it look like the these substances are uh, really dangerous and serving as a gateway for teens to move on to become regular smokers, which is exactly one of the main reasons why the tobacco companies are in this business. Now, I don't want to imply that I am all doom and gloom related to ENDS because there is a clear difference in uh, toxifying effects and danger of smoke as well as vaping compared to vaping liquid. So does that mean that there's a place for ENDS in the 
tobacco harm reduction and perhaps an end game for tobacco. Could these substances eventually replace cigarettes altogether? I'm not here to talk specifically about that question, but I will share with you some data about whether ends can help smokers quit. And there's real promise that they can. So, uh, not only is there promise, but uh, there is no doubt that these substances are being advertised as uh, ways that smokers can quit. And here is just an example of a few of the ads, including my favorite one, uh, Kicks Butt, uh, that imply that these ends products can help smokers quit. Now, until recently, uh, because the FDA did not regulate these substances, uh, the clinical trials that evaluate the effectiveness of ENDS for smoking cessation have really not been run, for the most part, out of the United States. But there have been another, a number of studies in other parts of the world. Bullen and colleagues uh, published the first in 2013, and this was a trial out of New Zealand with over 650 smokers who were all interested in quitting cigarettes, and they randomized people to three conditions, a placebo electronic cigarette, so it had a vaping liquid, but it didn't have nicotine a nicotine electronic cigarette, and a nicotine patch. You'll notice that those bars all look like they're around the same height, and indeed they are. There were no differences in quit rates or reduction in cigarettes per day six months after participation in that trial. So for this study, the media just took this result and ran. And all over the world, this study was uh, news headlines said things like this. E-cigarettes are as good as patches at helping smokers quit. But looking a little bit more closely at this particular trial and, of course, the critical analysis often did not show up in a lot of news articles about uh, this study, but to give you a sense of uh, the difference in how many people were using at one month, the amount is a lot lower in those who had the nicotine patch versus the electronic cigarette or the nicotine e-cigarette. So the relapse rates were quite a bit higher in those who were using the e-cigarettes compared to the nicotine patches. I'll also mention that the adherence rate, so the people that actually wore the patches, was way lower in this trial compared to those who you'd used the e-cigarettes. So there's some question about whether the nicotine patch was used successfully. And the problem is that a lot of that information is not getting uh, marketed out there at all. In the United States, but also in other countries, there are uh, there have been a number of studies that evaluate in uh, the population if some if uh, people do use ends to try to quit smoking, have they been re- successful? So, do they report successful abstinence? There have been four main studies that have looked at this. The last one by Glantz and colleagues. This is Stan Glantz, uh, who leads our Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education. That's uh, across the in our library published a meta-analysis earlier this year with 20 international studies 
all four of these studies have presented either no relationship between using an electronic cigarette and subsequent quitting smoking, or in the case of the last two studies, including the 20, the group of 20 study meta-analyses, using an e-cigarette was associated with lower likelihood of successfully quitting smoking. So it's actually not looking like these substances are helping people quit. Can they help some people quit? Certainly. Does anybody know anyone who has used an electronic cigarette successfully to quit smoking? No. Does not one hand? Does anyone know anyone who has tried to use an electronic cigarette to quit? Okay, well, that might attest to the relatively low smoking rates in San Francisco uh, and years of a very successful tobacco control program here and in California. Uh, but it is, they are used more commonly, and if anyone does ask, I would suggest that you uh, recommend that they try something that has shown some efficacy for helping people quit. I'd like to take a brief interlude, uh, but on a related note, share uh, some data from a Facebook smoking cessation intervention that I have developed and that I'm implementing now in a clinical trial with 500 young adult smokers. So in my work, I think about how to use digital technology to help people change addictive behaviors. And in our tobacco status project, we've designed a three-month smoking cessation intervention implemented entirely through Facebook. Uh, it has three main parts. The first is private Facebook groups that are tailored to uh, young adults' readiness to quit smoking. So there's a different group for those who say that they are ready to quit in the next month. Those who are thinking about it, they say they want to quit, but they're not ready in the next month or so. And yet another group for those who are not ready to quit in the next six months. And we deliver daily posts for 90 days to this secret Facebook group. Here's an example of a post, a woman sitting in a field, and you can't, I'm sure, see that tiny, tiny text, but it says, what is the best case scenario if you quit smoking? And then we also run live counseling sessions with a smoking cessation counselor who comes to the groups and delivers evidence-based smoking cessation to uh, everyone, regardless of readiness to quit, for an hour each week of the three-month intervention. And here's an example of something that he might post to the Facebook group uh, right when he's about to come on. We uh, had a feasibility trial that we published earlier this year in the Journal of Medical Internet Research that uh, published quit rates a year out of enrollment in our trial of reported 17.5% quit rate and uh, biochemically verified abstinence in 10.5%. So these numbers were... Uh, I was quite pleased with these numbers, especially given that um, most of the people enrolled in the trial were not interested in quitting smoking when they began this program. Uh, it was also nice to see that while the height of quitting did happen at six months, there wasn't a huge drop-off between six and 12 months. So we looked in this sample of 500 young adult smokers at ENDS use 
So these were smokers uh, all across the United States, and we just wanted to know how many of them were using ENDS and why. Half of these smokers had used an ENDS products in the past month, most of which had nicotine in it. 87% reported liquids with nicotine. 43% had used the substance in order to try to quit smoking. And uh, those who had had a quit attempt recently and those who had a goal of remaining, of becoming and remaining abstinent from tobacco were more likely to use ENDS. So really, there was quite a high prevalence of ENDS use in these young adult smokers, and primarily they were using it to try to quit whether or not it was going to be helpful. And that, excuse me, that came up in our quit groups quite a bit. There was a lot of curiosity about whether ENDS would be helpful to quit. And uh, these are data showing how many people were ready to quit ENDS in the next 30 days in green there versus how many were ready to quit cigarettes. And in short, many, many fewer were ready to change anything about their ENDS use compared to their cigarette use. So ENDS have had a really interesting regulatory landscape. In recent years, they were not regulated at all by any federal authority. And this meant that they were not subject to certainly the same laws or regulatory uh, bodies or controls as were either medications or tobacco products. And that meant that there were a number of things like flavors, which have been outlawed in the United States for a long time for tobacco products. And there was a question for a while about how the FDA would regulate This month, they just issued their deeming rule, which will regulate ENDS like tobacco products, and that will change August 8th. When they take regulatory authority, it means that they will their sale will be prohibited to minors. There will no longer be free samples available. Uh, they will require warning labels, which is particularly important, of course, for users and those who may be affected by secondhand smoke, but also for people who might be concerned about minors who are ingesting. Everyone's concerned about minors, but people who have access to young children who might ingest the liquid. And all new products will have to be registered with the FDA. And that includes ingredient lists. In uh, the day that the FDA issued their deeming rule, California also made some major changes related to tobacco and also ends. So, uh, Our governor signed bills two weeks ago affecting ENDS use to go into effect June 9th. ENDS will be regulated like tobacco, and that means that ENDS liquids will be sold in child-resistant packaging because we have much more um, heavy regulations in California than do most states. And the smoking age in this state will be raised from 18 to 21, and importantly, that includes ENDS products. So no one under 21 will be able to buy an electronic cigarette. Marketing of these products will also hopefully change a little bit. And that I say hopefully because right now they're really being marketed as if they are medications, which they certainly are not. They're also being marketed as uh, an alternative to uh, smoking and to place the ability to uh, vape, to circumvent clean indoor air laws. They're also being marketed in a way 
way that cigarettes used to be marketed and still are in some ways. Does this remind anyone of Virginia Slim's ads that they've seen? Uh, and this is absolutely uh, real and uh, online, which is the main way that young people are um, finding out about these products. Flavors are also a huge issue with ENDS, and perhaps most dangerously around youth, a lot of the flavors are very uh, particularly appealing to youth and are one of the main reasons why youth say they start using these substances the first time. I'd be interested in Skittles and Bomb Pops, cupcakes. What are some of the concerns around the promotion of ends use. One that I want to share with you is the concern around the renormalization of smoking, particularly relevant for teens for whom tobacco control efforts have clearly made a huge difference in recent years throughout the United States. The proportion of teens who start smoking and young adults who smoke has been reducing slowly in the United States over the last few decades, and there might be a concern that the prevalence of e-cigarette use might change that. There's also concerns around undermining clean indoor air laws, especially given that there is a secondhand smoke effect, secondhand vapor effect of ENDS products. There's also a concern then that rather than helping people change smoking behavior, ENDS may mean that it sustains dual use. So somebody tries to uh, quit smoking with ENDS and instead uh, continues to smoke and use ENDS throughout their life. Or also of concern is a former smoker who wants to try an ENDS product because they're curious about it, and either because uh, there is nicotine content that gives them cues to uh, an interest in having the stronger nicotine content delivered from a cigarette, or just because the, the feeling of smoking something uh, makes, it, makes them want to actually smoke something with nicotine in it, there is really a major concern that quitting won't actually happen. Uh, there's also, uh, I mentioned behavioral cues already, and then of course concerns around initiation with youth, and the epidemiological data really are showing that. And then of course flavor additives are uh, particularly uh, interesting and attractive to youth, and this is really a concern. So I recommend that uh, because ENDS are not approved as a cessation aid, that uh, if you're curious about them or if anyone you know asks about them, that you not recommend that they use them to quit, but rather recommend that they use something that's approved uh, as a cessation aid. Uh, despite the marketing, ENDS are not harmless water vapor. And... Uh, Really, the key with ENDS as well is that the exposure can be damaging to bystanders. So uh, there's there should be a, someone who's using ENDS should not expose uh, others to the aerosol, and they should think about quitting ENDS in the same way that they would quit smoking cigarettes. I've listed a number of evidence-based strategies and places where people can go if they have questions about quitting smoking or quitting ENDS use. All right. So I'd like to just take a moment and switch gears to a different substance, but one that overlaps quite a bit with ends, uh, marijuana.
Marijuana is really different today than it was a few decades ago, and I'd like to give what I like to call an update on cannabis and how it's being used today and what we know about the research. Marijuana is the most popular federally illicit substance used by teens in the United States. These are data from the Monitoring the Future survey that I showed you earlier. Prevalence of past month use of marijuana among 8th graders, 10th graders, and 12th graders. And it is equally likely that a teen has used marijuana and, and that they have been drunk. Marijuana is more prevalent than cigarette smoking and more prevalent than electronic cigarette use in the United States. So again, when we're thinking about prevention, thinking about intervention, the three most popular substances in the United States for teens are alcohol, marijuana, and electronic cigarettes. One of the main patterns of use that has changed in recent years is daily use. So it's not necessarily the case that many uh, more people have been using marijuana nationally. People are definitely using marijuana more in states that legalize marijuana, but I'm not going to talk about uh, certain states individually. But of interest is that daily use is increasing, and this is recreational use not medical use in in these data. To give you a sense of where California fits in the uh, federal landscape of marijuana use, the states that are in red are those that are most likely to use marijuana. California is in the category of second most likely to use marijuana. So use in California is somewhere between uh, 13 and 15 percent in the last year among uh, those aged 12 or older in our state. You may notice that a number of the states in red are those that have legalized cannabis use, Washington, Oregon, uh, Colorado, and District of Columbia. And we may do it this year, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. So one of the main uh, things, in addition to daily use of marijuana increasing, one of the main things that has changed in recent years is the proportion of THC that is in a given amount of marijuana. So these are some data from toxicology screenings of marijuana in 1975 when the average amount of marijuana had 0.74% THC concentration to 2012 when it had 12.3% THC concentration. And this is the result of quite a bit of genetics and advance advances in growing of marijuana that has really changed the plant and people's access uh, to plants that have much, much higher THC concentration. 
One of the main ways that people are able to consume marijuana these days is a way that has also been around for many decades, which is through edibles. And in part because of uh, legal medical marijuana, but also in states in which marijuana is recreational, we're seeing a lot more uh, interesting and different edible products, including candy, including liquids, including chocolates, and including uh, things like these leaf cookies. Wanted to share some data with you about what is in the given edible marijuana products. So most of the data that has tested what's actually in edible marijuana products has come from states in which medical marijuana is legal and from uh, dispensaries. One study published in JAMA last year uh, looked at 75 different edible products in three cities where medical marijuana was legal at the time, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Seattle, and found that there was a real substantial discrepancy between the THC content that was labeled and what was actually in the product upon toxicology testing. Only 17% of the products were accurately labeled. Interestingly, the majority was over-labeled, so said the THC content was higher than what it actually was, which means that that product may not confer the medical benefit or potentially the recreational benefit that someone is expecting. And about a quarter of these products were under-labeled, so had more THC content than their reporting. One of the real concerns around edible products, though, and also state legalization, including with medical, uh, a medical marijuana program or recreational legalization, is that there's no standardization of what a dose of marijuana looks like. So how much THC is in uh, one dose and also how, you know, comparing one piece of chocolate versus one amount of a cookie or some amount of soda. And this has been a real interesting problem that Colorado and Washington and now Oregon and D.C. have been dealing with recently and certainly one that California will be dealing with if, if we legalize recreationally. So, uh, the conclusion from this is clearly that edible products fail to meet accurate label standards for pharmaceuticals, which is how uh, they're currently being marketed in states in which they're legal. So now I come to dabbing, which was something that I had in the title of my talk. It is a form of ingesting THC that is becoming more and more common. It involves heating intensely concentrated forms of marijuana called extracts to extremely high temperatures with butane and inhaling the resulting vapor. So dabs or also uh, a term that that is commonly used is wax, is very, very highly concentrated THC. And here's an example of uh, a wax product that can be put in and sometimes is fit in a lip balm. It's not ingested or taken by putting it on one's lips, but it can certainly be hidden this way. And I've, I've uh, heard colloquially of... Um, kids in school just having lip balm and being able to exchange dabbing uh, dabs this way. Uh, concerns about dabs are that the THC concentrations, I mentioned a couple slides ago, average 
THC content in typical marijuana plants these days, somewhere between 12 and 13% THC concentration. Dabs have somewhere between 20% and 80% THC concentration. In contrast to marijuana, that's sometimes eight times the concentration. So it is potentially dangerous uh, because of the high THC concentration. And in states where dabbing is more common, uh, either by those who are trying to use medically or recreationally, the ER is seeing more visits with people who have uh, smoked dabs. So there's... um, People who, regardless of whether there is an immediate health consequence, people think they're dying, have a panic attack. Those are really the most common side effects of taking dabs. Uh, Shared, uh, primarily information about dabbing is shared and normalized through social media, which of course is one of the main ways that a lot of younger kids are are finding out about the world. Uh, Here is an example of a couple of uh, YouTube videos from a study that did a content analysis of YouTube videos on dabbing and found that for the most part, the videos were sharing information about how to dab, how to make dabs, how to use dabs, and very few of them gave any kind of warning or reminder either about the concentration of THC in dabs or about um, the fact that they should only be used medically. There's also real concerns about considerable residue solvent as well as pesticide contamination in these substances. So uh, it can't be said that when you the extent of butane that's needed to extract and heat these substances to make dabs and wax, they really can no longer be called natural plants, which is something that um, uh, we know is said quite a bit about marijuana. Another um, strategy that people are using uh, considerably these days to use marijuana overlaps quite a bit with the first part of my talk tonight. It's vaping. So now in states where uh, marijuana is legal, vape pens explicitly for marijuana use have become more popular and are marketed, but one doesn't necessarily need uh, something called the MSIG in order to vape marijuana. It can be used in any vaping product, and we're seeing this more often in schools, among my adolescent research participants, and uh, in clinics. And there are some of the same issues around vaping marijuana as there are vaping nicotine. Uh, We don't know quite as much about vaping marijuana as we do about ENDS, but there are some clear theoretical benefits to vaping marijuana. They could maybe reduce the negative health effects of smoking something that uh, uh, can be extremely harmful to the lungs and inhaling smoke. Uh, There's also potentially limited exposure to others, and uh, there are those non-health benefits that it is more discreet, and then there's, of course, increased delivery efficiency of vaping. And these are all the reasons why people are increasingly trying vaping marijuana. Some real concerns, especially those who work with youth, are that uh, vaping may mean that kids are trying marijuana sooner than they would otherwise smoke marijuana because it's potentially uh, seen as being safer or because they're more curious about it. It might be less harmful. Uh, And then there may be increased increased quantity or frequency of vaping because uh, people think it's safer and it's okay to vape. 
Uh, it also promotes really high concentrated and potentially contaminated forms of marijuana, including dabs and wax and also oils. Want to summarize briefly uh, the research describing health concerns, particularly around teens and marijuana use. There are five main areas uh, that have that can summarize the literature that tries to identify whether teen substance use, teen marijuana use, is associated with immediate or more long-term problems. One is that there is a higher risk of addiction uh, to marijuana use when use starts young. So to give you an example, the risk of addiction doubles among those who start using as teens compared to those who wait until they're over 18 to start using marijuana. There's also concerns around risk for other drug use, and this these data are everything from looking at uh, young rodent studies in utero, noticing that it alters dopamine reactivity in the brain's reward regions such that uh, rats are more sensitive and susceptible to addiction to other substances if they start, if they're exposed to uh, THC early. There are some uh, studies looking at the relationship between early and extensive onset of marijuana use and psychotic symptoms and later onset of schizophrenia. And there primarily behavioral effects of early marijuana use are effects on school performance. And this is both effects on cognitive ability uh, and uh, also subsequent effects on grades. Very short-term effects of young marijuana use are uh, using and driving, which is something that has come up a lot this year as we're considering a bill to legalize marijuana in California. I hear a lot of um, people expressing concerns around youth and also adults uh, getting high and driving, and that is also uh, a particular concern for for uh, younger people, and then perhaps people being compromised uh, and doing things they wouldn't otherwise do. Similar concerns uh, for youth drinking as well. To give you a sense of brain regions that are involved in uh, early onset marijuana use, after about one week to 30 days of abstinence in, in healthy samples without independent mental health problems, those who have teens who have used marijuana 200 times or more in their lives, so these are teens who have used quite a bit, uh, do show some cognitive impairments, structural abnormalities, and also also functional brain abnormalities as a result of marijuana use. And this is just a little comic that uh, implies, of course, the acute uh, memory effects of marijuana after hours of thought or minutes of thought, whichever just occurred. I think marijuana is nature's way of saying, forget it. Uh, a recent study a couple years ago came out in um, Procedures of the National uh, Academy of Sciences that looked at 1,000 people who were followed, who were all born in the early 70s, followed them from adolescence through age 38. Marijuana use was measured periodically throughout their lives, and neuropsychological testing was administer administered at age 13 as well as age 38. The study looked at the relationship between marijuana use and subsequent 
cognitive deficits and found that only among those who had started using marijuana in adolescence and persisted marijuana use through adulthood had on average eight points lower IQ at age 38 than those who had not done that, who had not started early and who had not persisted. So the key for this kind of research and what a number of other studies have found as well, it's not that marijuana is use is associated with lower IQ, but early onset use and persistent use is not safe for the brain. I'd like to give you a sense now of the regulatory landscape of marijuana use by just presenting a basic map of the United States in the current landscape as of a few months ago. Uh, in black are studies in which marijuana uh, use is legal. Colorado, Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and District of Columbia. Medical marijuana is legal in all the states in gray, and as well, marijuana possession is decriminalized in states with the uh, slash line. So in California, we have medical marijuana as well as decriminalization of uh, possession of an ounce, up to an ounce of marijuana is punishable by uh, something equivalent to a traffic ticket. So uh, we are about to vote in November on at least one ballot initiative that will legalize marijuana. That is called the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Uh, the longer title is the Control, Regulate, and Tax Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Uh, it is one of about 18 initiatives that were originally submitted uh, for consideration on the November ballot. It's looking like that will likely be the only one on the ballot, but that could change. Uh, certainly the aim of this initiative is to legalize marijuana use for those 21 and older, to regulate use uh, by establishing a body that would regulate it, but also a, an oversight committee, and that would be for the AUMA made up of both marijuana industry representatives as well as others, and uh, taxing both the use of marijuana as well as growing marijuana. And we'll see what happens. Uh, it seems in recent polls like there is somewhat uh, majority support for uh, legalization in California. So we, we may become one of those darker states soon. Some concerns around retail cannabis use and teens, which of course is the population that I study, but I think is also one that... Uh, it is, it's a very uh, important population because there's a real question around whether even if uh, marijuana is legalized only for those 21 and older, the climate in the state will likely change quite a bit. Marketing will be available to teens. Normalization of use will definitely change throughout the state. So all of these, those two things and a couple others are of particular concern. To give you a sense of uh, the effect of normalization normalizing marijuana use, in 2013, about a fifth of high school seniors in the United States reported that they would try marijuana if it was legal 
for general use. So it's just the idea of legalizing the substance that makes it seem uh, more normal and more safe than if it's illegal. Uh, unanswered questions about the effects of secondhand marijuana smoke exposure. Uh, so there are data coming out, actually, of uh, Matt Springer's lab at UCSF. If you're curious about marijuana secondhand smoke, you could Google Matt Springer. Uh, looking like uh, marijuana secondhand exposure on some measures can be as dangerous as uh, secondhand cigarette smoke exposure. There's also concerns that the marketing will reach youth. The primary form of marketing uh, legal marijuana will be digital, and that is the way in which uh, youth find out about all kinds of information. Uh, really, in, for some youth, it's how they do most of their communicating these days. Uh, and then there are concerns, as I mentioned earlier, around limited regulations on dosing, especially edible marijuana. So in summary... Marijuana is used quite frequently and increasingly more frequently and more uh, often by teens in the United States and especially for youth confers some concerning uh, short-term and potentially also long-term health effects. Little is known about how legalization will affect youth use and its associated consequences. Those data are will be available very, very soon to analyze in states that have already legalized marijuana. Everybody is curious to know, are more kids using? Are more kids driving stoned? Are they crashing and dying because of being stoned driving? Are they combining marijuana with alcohol, which is particularly dangerous? But unfortunately, a lot of those data have not been available at the time that we'll be voting on the initiative in California. So we have to make decisions in the absence of some of those data. Uh, but yet the concern is definitely there. Uh, despite the lack of what is known for both ends products, but also marijuana, the legal landscape is changing quite rapidly. Marketing is going full steam ahead and the industry is growing uh, Daily, I mean, many, many uh, new uh, companies are popping up all over the country in anticipation of California legalizing recreational marijuana use. We are sure to see industries very, very um, interested in the outcome and ready to start selling. And in the absence of... Uh, Regulations certainly mental health professionals, parents, and those who are close to teens uh, are play an extremely important role in sending uh, and conveying messages around uh, marijuana use and also ends use to teens. I didn't get into discussing details of behavioral treatments, but we certainly do need to improve those. And uh, no doubt treatments should be tailored to readiness to quit with a different level of intervention for those who are seeing that they're ready to make a change versus those who are not ready. At this time, I'd like to make sure that everyone here has my email address. It's also uh, going to be available online so that anyone is more than welcome to contact me should you have additional questions after tonight. And with that, I would be very happy to take any questions. pressure 
used to expose myself to tobacco. And I mean, this came from Hollywood, from television. From at that time, television was still advertising Marlboros and things like that. But this is different. This is a different thing. The focus seems to be more on the act of consuming uh, these products, not the act of doing it so you can be part of a cultural group or get social acceptance. But is that is that an accurate statement, or uh, does that compare with what your teenagers are? So the question was that uh, it seemed like there was a real cultural pressure to smoke cigarettes uh, before, and yet it, this seems like a different phenomenon happening. So rather than cultural pressure, it's just uh, perhaps other kinds of pressure. I appreciate that point quite a bit, given that there are extreme regulations on the tobacco industry that in large part was responsible for that cultural pressure. And uh, there was quite a lot of social acceptance in smoking. We saw it in movies. Uh, we still see it in movies, but uh, we saw it in almost every movie decades ago. And it's less and less common now. Uh, tobacco companies have been known to take quite advantage of the many different cultures of smokers and market directly to individual cultures. Uh, so the Marlboro Man appealed to some people. Uh, the Virginia Slims ad appealed to other people. And clearly those are sex specific also. Uh, so the fact that there are quite a bit of regulations on marketing has changed the landscape quite a bit. But Actually, it's a real concern of mine that the marketing landscape of electronic nicotine delivery systems until very recently has been operating entirely in the absence of regulation. So I think companies, perhaps certainly tobacco companies, know what they're doing in perpetuating the culture of a vapor, which is you know the culture of wanting to find a safe alternative to quitting and the culture of being interested that your doctor wants you to vape to quit smoking. Um, or a lot of what we saw in, in previous ads, the culture of wanting to be thinner and uh, more beautiful because you vape. So, uh, yes, I think society is different now around its um, thinking of about tobacco, but there's no doubt that uh, the idea of perpetuating a culture is uh, going full steam ahead as long as companies are not regulated in that area. Yes, sir. Could you summarize the key arguments for legalizing marijuana as it's being proposed and, and not doing it? Switching gears to marijuana, can I summarize the legal arguments for and against marijuana use? I, uh, I can. Um, there is a real concern. I'll give just a couple of basic arguments, and then there are certainly others. Uh, there's a real concern in California and nationally that uh, those who are imprisoned for the use of marijuana and the sale of marijuana are done so in a systematically racist way. 
and that uh, the criminal justice system needs an overhauling with respect to uh, criminalizing marijuana use. And so legalizing it will change that fairly immediately and quickly. Uh, There are also arguments that marijuana is relatively safer than other substances and uh, should not be criminalized in the same way as uh, other illegal substances. And there are some arguments that marijuana has some of the same kinds of effects certainly long-term effects, and some say even safer long-term effects than alcohol and tobacco, which have been legal in this country for a long time. So those are a couple of, of main arguments. I don't have time to go over all of them, but I think those are two that I've heard quite a bit. Uh, Arguments against are that we'll see more people using marijuana and some of the consequences that we do see from legal substances like tobacco and alcohol, including stoned driving, will be a real concern. There'll be more people um, uh, high, and there may be problems associated with that that we're seeing now with some of the substances that are that are legal that we don't want more of in the state. Uh, Concerns around youth initiation of use is another large one that I sort of tried to convey and share some research around. I think that uh, may be one of the biggest arguments against as well. It's something I think about a lot working with youth. Uh, But there are some good reports that I um, can share with people after, if you're interested, that nicely summarize some of the issues around legalization and effects on youth. Yes, sir. Uh, Beside medical using and this kingdom, no question about it. But my question is, why so many experts, politicians, they still kind of the driving force to promote the medical. One side is good, one side not good. They have all the <coughs> But one thing I'm sure they are very harmful. At least, I don't think any doctor can say very harmful. Okay, so why should we still doing that? I think the major reason is that's the children business animal. On the other hand, kind of out of control. So we want to control it. Mm-hmm. So that the reason even I'm going to vote in November, I don't want it because I know the Chinese history. At one period of time Chinese consider Marihana as a sham, a national sham mm-hmm. because some soldiers they need to carry two guns. One gun to fly and one gun to put to uh, use the marijuana. Without that gun, they cannot fight. So uh, time has changed. We also knew the medical use a long time ago mm-hmm. in China future. But anyway, still, just like UPC, it's very harmful for the team. Yeah. So why are we still doing that? So many. So maybe a very difficult answer. I will vote 
yes and November because I have no choice. But I want to control it. So some real concerns around uh, use of marijuana and teen use, and yet uh, also a real desire to see that it's safely regulated. And uh, there's no doubt that that is uh, safe regulation, whether marijuana is legalized recreationally or medically is ideal for any state and certainly federally if we were to legalize it federally although we're not we're not there yet uh, all of the bills that were submitted to be considered for the, the November ballot had some aspect of regulation of course necessarily on the bills but there is a real interesting dichotomy around legalizing a substance like marijuana at the state level, but not federally. And it will maintain its illicit status federally, which means that people can be drug tested and uh, not considered for a position if they don't pass a drug test, because those are the federal regulations. And no matter what, federal laws will still trump until something changes federally. And that will be I know this wasn't your point directly, sir, but it's going to be an interesting issue around regulation when the states, there hasn't been a real precedent set for how to regulate the substance. Every state that has legalized it is doing it a little bit differently. And the bill that we'll likely, we're most likely to see on the ballot has its way of doing it. But is that the best way to support the public health around marijuana and around legalization, I'm not so sure that it is. Uh, were public health experts involved in uh, designing the bill? Was the public's health put first in considering writing the bill? Uh, I'm sure there was some consideration put, but is it ideal? I'm not so sure that it is. I would argue that the best bill to legalize marijuana would treat uh, the, the substance like legal tobacco. The idea is that fewer people are using marijuana and that it's legal, not that more people are using the substance. So we'll see what happens if it is legalized here, uh, but that, in my mind, would be ideal and certainly fewer uh, youth using marijuana. Yes, in the back. Yes, um, I appreciate and agree with your, um, with your work and, and trying to prevent youth in particular from getting into dangerous use of these substances. But also, I'm just curious, I mean, as, as far as a way to tie into the theme of this whole series, which is mental illness, um, you know, normally the people who are using them, I mean, maybe, the, I mean, yeah, I guess in a way you could say everybody's self-medicating so everybody's a little mentally ill, but most people who use marijuana are not really mentally ill. They're, it's either recreational. Well, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to figure this. So, so the, the topic that I think would be more tied into the theme of this series is um, vaping with CBD, I understand, is this content. Cannabidiol, yeah. Right, without any 
okay so you don't get high, you, you can use it to replace um, medications with dangerous yeah. side effects, and it's in fact a very healthy way of treating mental illness. So can we conceptualize marijuana use as a, a way to uh, treat mental illness? Is that a fair way to summarize your question? It's a great one. Uh, so the short answer to that is that uh, THC and cannabidiol, the two cannabinoids that have been most primarily tested as medical agents to support a variety of conditions have some effects that may be related to alleviation of mental health symptoms. However, neither of those cannabinoids explicitly treats mental health problems yet based on uh, the evidence. I'm saying yet because there are a couple trials. So you also mentioned that it seems like people with mental health problems may be more likely to use marijuana. That is certainly true. And that it may be because people are trying to self-medicate severe symptoms that seem more uh, capable, that seem more um, better maintained under the influence of marijuana. There are a couple trials that are testing the efficacy of cannabidiol or a THC uh, marijuana to treat symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, for example, uh, which is one in which we see very, very high comorbidity with marijuana use. But the results of those trials have not been out yet. So we really, I don't know of a trial that has explicitly examined and shown marijuana to be efficacious for the treatment of mental illness. Uh, yet, is there something going on there because there is such high comorbidity? Yes. Is it the case that uh, that may be because other medications that may be effective for treating mental health symptoms are not working as well as people would like? Certainly. Uh, but can marijuana replace that medication or do a better job? We can't say that yet. But I definitely appreciate that more research is needed around uh, the medical potential of cannabidiol and THC. And the problem in this country, because it is federally an illicit substance, is that very, very little of that research is being done. And I do think that is a problem. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was wondering uh, whether or not in your experience you've seen a higher degree of addictive personality in boy, young boys and young girls? Have I seen a higher uh, prevalence of addictive personality in boys or in girls? That is a good question. I will not answer it directly by saying prevalence of use of most substances is higher in teenage boys than teenage girls. However, I would not say that that's due to the presence of an addictive personality per se, but a number of different vulnerabilities, and uh, including societal pressure on boys and, well, uh, 
different societal pressures on boys and on girls that uh, for a number of reasons make it that boys are more likely to experiment with and go on to have problems with drugs. There's also a higher prevalence of other mental health problems in adolescent girls, including primarily uh, depression is probably the, the largest example, but there are others as well, eating disorders, for example. Some uh, researchers have theorized that the higher prevalence of alcohol use disorder in boys is uh, in some way masking the relatively equal prevalence of depression in males and females. Um, But uh, I would actually say that the likelihood of addiction is uh, related to a lot of different factors, including a genetic vulnerability, including environment that one grew up in, and, of course, availability of substances. So all of those factors, uh, as well as what we bring to the table personality-wise and the way we think about alcohol and drugs, might make it such that boys try these substances uh, a little earlier and use a little more often than girls. Yes? Um, which major industry do you think will benefit financially from this uh, conversion over to a, a narcotic uh, society? Uh, if it be cigarettes, alcohol, uh, what other industry may be the foremost marketers of the which industry will be the foremost uh, marketers or stand to benefit the most from uh, some of the changes coming down the pike with the substances I've been talking about tonight? Let's see. Uh, There's no doubt that the tobacco industry is involved in ENDS products and uh, got involved early and often just to set themselves up to be ready if people were interested in using these products because they could support people becoming lifelong smokers and because uh, if there is increased regulation on tobacco and not as severe regulation on ENDS products, they've still got an industry. There is, uh, so that's sort of my ENDS answer to that. Then there's marijuana. Now, very interesting Uh, things will happen with the marijuana industry. There are many, many new companies popping up that are benefiting already from legalization in the four states in which it's legal. There may be other industries, including the alcohol industry and tobacco industry, that may be very interested in being involved with marijuana-related products as well. Uh, But just like any other industry, it's partly who, who does it Best, and there's no doubt that some industries that have some great experience, including the tobacco industry and potentially alcohol industries, uh, stand to benefit at least somewhat. We'll see. All right. Well, if there are no additional questions, then I will just say thank you very much for your time tonight. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.